we've been spending the last number of weeks looking at this idea of tensions in that the inside of the Bible there's lots of things that are true at the same time that look like they're in contradiction with one another. And what we're going to be looking at today is kind of uh, the mother of all biblical tensions. This is the one that is the most um, hotly debated inside Christianity and uh, is maybe even the most long-standing. People have been arguing over this issue for at least 500 years, and uh, you'd think we'd figure it out by now, but nope. Uh, and what we're going to be looking at today is about grace and responsibility. And the big question that we're asking is, uh, is Christianity about the power of God and the sovereignty of God, or is it, uh, is it about our own free will and human choice? And people have been debating this for a very long time, and there are, just to I'm not going to overwhelm you with church history, but there's two names that you need to know. Uh, the first is John Calvin, who's kind of championed the side that says God is sovereign, and there's nothing that happens in this world that's outside of his control. Everything that's going on is directly because of him. Let me give you some, I'll just give you three passages that kind of uh, emphasize this. Acts 13, 48 says, As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So, uh, who believed? Those who were appointed to eternal life. So, you become a Christian not so much because you decide to become a Christian, but because you've been appointed by God to be a Christian. So, uh, I, I, t I remember teaching in a school that uh, would be what this is called Calvinism or Reformed theology. And uh, I come from a very evangelistic background. And so I come to this school to teach. And uh, nobody's talking much about evangelism. And so I asked them, I go, you know, what's going on? Why doesn't uh, this is a Christian school? Why don't we care very much about evangelism? He says, well, God will save who he will save. And we trust him to be faithful in that. And uh, that was really hard on me. But, uh, but that's, that's a bit of it. Maybe that's a bit of an extreme. But it is what kind of falls under this idea of Calvinism. Ephesians 1, 5 says something quite similar. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So before the beginning of time... You were predestined. You were foreordained. You were chosen by God to be a son of God. Again, this is all about his doing. It's not about what you chose to do. Psalm 139, 16 supports this. Uh, all the days, this is uh, David speaking to God. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's the sovereignty of God. Uh, it's not 95% of your days where it was uh, all of your days. Uh, there's nothing that has happened in your life that is not outside of God's knowledge or control. That's Calvinism. And that's biblical truth. 
God isn't a little bit in control of the world. He's totally in control of the world. Now, for a lot of us, that brings up some questions. We'll get to in a minute. But God is fully in control. And if you, if you don't believe that, you're going to struggle with lots of what the Bible teaches. That's Calvinism. Then came someone named Arminius. And uh, Arminianism, or Arminian theology, Arminianism is more of a, uh, it's, it stretches to being unbiblical. But to think of yourself as Arminian, this is all about free will. Let me read three passages about this. Uh, Matthew 23, 37 says, this is Jesus speaking, how often I have longed to gather your children together, speaking to Jerusalem. Uh, I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. So God's saying, I have a longing. I want to draw Jerusalem together. And it says, and you were not willing. Okay, well, that's a problem. Because what we just read is that everything is in God's control. And now we read, he has a desire that's been unfulfilled. He wanted to do this, but we were unwilling. And so he couldn't or didn't. So that's different, right? Um, and then there's a bunch of verses in the Bible that are but verses or if then verses or when verses. That when you do this or if you do this, let me give you some examples. This is all about our free will. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people uh, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. How do you get your sins forgiven? You've got to do a bunch of stuff. You've got to humble yourself and pray and seek God's face and turn from your wicked ways. And if you do that, then God's going to do this. Well, now it sounds like salvation is about us and what we're going to do, not what God does. And finally, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So according to this passage, if you don't uh, if you don't personally know God and have that experience, it's your fault. You didn't seek him with your whole heart. And so that's why. And so what we see in these passages are a... Uh, our life is 100% the reflection of our choices. So Calvinism... 100% God's sovereignty, Arminianism, 100% our choice and what we decide, that life is what we make of it. Welcome to a 500-year dilemma. This is, uh, this is what has bothered people for a super long time. And if you ever take any courses in theology, they discuss this ad nauseum. So... When, uh, when, so what should you do as a Christian? Let's say that you're having a, uh, you're having a difficulty with your children. What should you do? Should you pray? Say, Sovereign God, would you please come and, and do what you do that I can't do? Save me. Save my children. Change their hearts. Do a miracle, please. 
They're killing me. Uh, is, that, is that what our parenting is about? That we should pray? Or you're looking at your bank account and uh, uh, it's looking a lot more red than black and you go, wow, this is not good. I need to pray. And so we start to pray. Oh, God, bless my finances. Your sovereign God. I was just, uh, I'm reading, where am I reading? I just lost it. I'm reading in the Bible. And, uh, and I'm reading in John. And it says that, uh, that everything comes from your hands. So, Father, everything comes from your hands. And so I'm asking for blessing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait until that happens. Is that an appropriate response? That's a great response. Shouldn't we pray for our children? Pray for our finances? Pray for our emotional well-being? Trusting that God is sovereign and can do miracles and is in control of all things? Wouldn't that be a good idea? Or should we just take responsibility? My children are misbehaving. Forget about prayer. Smarten up. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to do something. And I'm expecting you to do something. Should that be our response? Or we look at our bank account and we say, well, I just got to find me a better job. Forget about praying. I just need more money. And the only way I'm going to get more money is if I work harder. Don't you struggle with this all the time? Like, what am I supposed to do? Is it, is it up to me? Or is God going to do something great? And so we struggle between the power and sovereignty of God in our human power and personal responsibility. How do we work these things out? Well, when I was at Regent College, um, my mentor's name was Klaus Bachmuel. Isn't that an outstanding name? He, uh, he was Swiss, and he studied under Karl Barth. And if you know anything about theology, that is a big name. And uh, he was a student. And he was my mentor, and so I took a course, or a seminar rather, which is just a small, it's just a smaller group of students, and it's more of a dialogue than it is a lecture. And what we were doing is we were studying another fancy word called sanctification. And the question of the course, does God make us pure and holy, or do we, through self-effort, become pure and holy? This was the question that we were going to try to answer in, uh, in a few months' time. And so what we did is we went through church history and we looked at different ages or movements inside of church history to see what they had to say about the subject. And so we looked at the first, I don't remember, it was a long time ago, but we looked at the first movement in church history. And what they said is, uh, if you want to become godly, it's all the grace of God. You can't add to it. How dare you think that you can add to it? It's a gift from God. And uh, we need to trust that that's true and live in that reality. Great. That answered the question. Then we went to the next movement in church history. And this movement said, it's all our responsibility. You don't just sit and wait for God to make you holy. Do something about it. Read your Bible and obey it. Don't wait for him. You're just being lazy. And then we go, okay, that's different than the first movement. And then the third movement comes along. And they say, oh, it's all God. God is the one who purifies us and makes us holy. And then, of course, you can guess what's going to happen next. The next movement in church history says, no, no, it's, it's personal responsibility. 
God gave us his word for a reason, and we're to do what it says, and that's how we become holy. And what you saw throughout church history, it was shocking. Every, I think we studied 13 different movements in church history, and we saw them flipping back and forth between 100% God's grace, 100% our responsibility. 100% God's grace, 100% responsibility. And then by the end of the course, we said to Dr. Bachmuller, you're killing me. Would you please give me an answer? Tell me what's going on. And he said this statement, which without exaggeration changed my life. He said, the journey of Christian maturity is 100% God and 100% man. And I remember hearing that for the first time. And for some strange reason, it made total sense to me. That in any given point in my life, it's all about what God's doing. And it's all about me making a godly choice. You point at any given moment in time. Jesus would be the example. When Jesus, when it says that Jesus wept, was that God that was weeping or was it a human emotion? Yes. It's all God and it's all man. In any given point in your life, God is fully at work in your life. Not a little bit. He's not just a little bit in control. He's fully in control, and you are fully active. Okay. Now, uh, that's nice, and it helped me a lot. But what I want to focus on tonight is why is that a problem? Why is that difficult for us? And here's what I'd like to suggest to you. The issue that's going on is who's in charge? Who has the power? I tell this uh, story. I know it's a, it's a dumb story, but it, it just it still works for me. Uh, and I think it's what it's like to be a guy. So I'll just say guys for now. Uh, so I, I get to play ball hockey with my, uh, with my boys. It's super fun. And it's a pickup game. So there's no teams ahead of time. You just kind of divide yourself up. And so when I, uh, when I get to the ball hockey court, here's what goes through my mind. Who's in charge? So I look. Everybody's got their stick. Fine, whatever. Who's in charge? Who's going to divide us up? Who's going to put us on the teams? Who's going to decide what the rules are? Who's in charge? And if nobody's in charge, because I'm a type A kind of person, I'll be in charge. But I don't really care if I'm in charge. I just want to know who's in charge. And if you're in charge, great. And if I'm in charge, great. I just want to know who's in charge. Because when I know who's in charge, then I know how to behave. I think like that. Uh, I think, we all think like that. Uh, we get into a moment and we say, God, are you in charge or am I in charge? Just let me know, but I want to know who is in charge. Because if you're in charge, well, I'm going to behave in one way. But if I'm responsible, then I'm going to behave in another way. And so the challenge isn't some kind of lofty theological idea, although I'm, I know that some of you are just barely hanging on to me right now. But we'll get to something practical in a moment. The issue is, who's in charge of the world? 
Who has the power? And if God has all the power, I'm going to live in one particular way. If it's all up to me, I'm going to live in a different way. But power makes a really big difference with how I'm going to live my life. And so what we find in some cultures is God has all the power. And I'm just living in response to him. And I'm afraid to tick him off. So I'm just going to submit to his power. And what we find in, these, in many of these cultures is they're tremendously superstitious and they don't evolve in technology because they're waiting for God to, to do something miraculous. And who am I to presume upon the living God and to, to push things forward? No, I submit to God. And then we have what's more like Western society where I don't know what God's doing, but anyways, let's do something. Let's take responsibility for our lives. Let's create things. Let's be a responsible people. So depending on who you think is in charge determines how you live your life. Can you follow me on that? Are you making, is this making any sense to you? So my kids wrestle with this every day. When I'm not home, they're in charge, and they behave in one particular way. And then when I walk in the room, I'm in charge. They it's amazing. It's a brand new way they behave when I'm in the, in the room. Brand new. Totally different, depending on who's in charge. I think in Western society, the biggest issue that people are struggling with is resenting, I would venture to say, anyone who suggests that anybody but me is in charge of my life. I think that's the main thing that's going on in Western society. I'm, a, I'm against Calvinism, not because it's not supported in the Bible, because it obviously is, but what it would imply is that I'm not in control of my life. I don't like that. So I'm going to hunt for things in here that talk about how I'm in control. I'm in charge of my destiny. Nobody else tells me what to do. My life is what I make of it. So when, at what point, is power a concern for us? When does that matter? When we mistrust the people who have the power. Um, I didn't care what Trudeau was like until he had authority over me. Now I have opinions. He didn't have any opinions when he didn't have any power, but as soon as he has power over me, now I really care about what he stands for and who he is. We watched uh, uh, a show. Have you seen uh, The Good Doctor? Have you seen this uh, show? I don't know if it's on Netflix, whatever. I've seen it a couple times, and I really like it. And uh, there's this, there's this uh, yeah, I always am afraid to say I like something, because then there, there's probably some disgusting episode that you saw that I didn't see, and now I've endorsed something perverted. Anyways, I saw it twice. But anyway, so... Uh, <coughs> so 
we, uh, uh, so there's this, this uh, little boy who this autistic doctor is helping, and he's going to die. He has cancer. And, uh, and he, he talks about how he doesn't believe in heaven. Because he says, if God is in control, listen to, listen to this. If God was in control of the whole world, and he makes me have cancer, then I don't want to believe in him. I don't want to believe in a God like that, and therefore I don't believe in heaven or hell. I just believe that we're going to stop existing. That's a person who's struggling with God's power. Is he trustworthy? And since I have negative things that happen in my life, now what do I do? Do I say, great, he's all-powerful, so does that mean he caused my cancer? Is that what that means? Is 100% God being sovereign, does that mean all pain and suffering in the world is his fault? Is that what the conclusion that you reach? Or the other conclusion is barely better. I have cancer because I had uh, uh, either a bad, you know, genetic, bad parents or a bad diet or I ate something that I shouldn't have eaten or, uh, you know, whatever. It, now it's my fault. Now listen. I think most of our thought processes that revolve around power is about who's to blame. That's what I think is going on. Whose fault is it? And so we look, we trace the power back to it, so it's your fault. You had the power, you didn't do anything about it, it's your fault. So when, just follow me just for a little bit longer here. When, uh, when we think that power is all about blame, then we're super suspicious of other people and very self-protected. And we don't want to have anybody have power over us. I think that when we think about power, we think about fault-finding and blaming. And so if you talk to somebody about God being sovereign, the, you, you know this, and you maybe say it yourself. Yeah, he's powerful. Let me tell you about his power. And then they'll tell you a horrible story of their life or of somebody else's life or Africa. I don't know why it's always Africa, but it's, you know, something that happened in Africa. And then they have this look, like I double dare you. You said he had all power. I just pointed out how his power is sick. What are you going to do with that? And so the only um, uh, paradigm they have about power is about blaming people. And then they don't want to have power either because they don't want to admit, unless, of course, their life is going well, then they're more than happy to say how, you know, amazing they are, and they write a book on it. <clears throat> so, I, okay, we're going to the, we're gonna get to the point right now. So, uh, 
We have an unhealthy relationship with power when we think it's all about blaming. And then that's why it really matters about, is it God or me? Because i got to know who to blame. i got to be super clear about that, and I'm hoping it's you. Unless I'm doing well, then it'll be me. All right? So, uh, uh, we have an unhealthy relationship with power when it's all about blame. When do we have a healthy relationship with power? When is power not a problem? When we trust in a love motive. Okay, follow me, because I just think this is so helpful, and I, I know I'm pushing our thinking. When I know that God's good, and when I know that I love him, I don't care who's in charge. It's just not an issue for me. You will do all that your goodness, all that you can do out of your goodness, and I'm going to do all that I can in how you've changed my heart, and it doesn't really matter where the dust settles. It doesn't really matter about blame because I'm not thinking about blame right now. I'm thinking about working together with you toward a common good. So I'm not suspicious about power. I'm not thinking that it's your fault for what happens in Africa or in my family's life. I'm not thinking about blaming you. I'm thinking that you're good. And because you're good, you will use your power for good. And you've changed my heart, and I'm on your side, and so I trust that I'm going to follow you because you've made me new. And so uh, I'm not struggling with blaming you. Power, power structures don't have to be clarified when there is no threat. I only care about power when I feel unsafe and I want to know who's to blame and who's going to protect. Then I care about it. But when I trust in a loving motive, I don't worry so much about who does what. Let me give an example of 1 Corinthians 15.10. This is a verse that is beautifully messy, and it describes the Christian life. And it's this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Every time I say that, I want to say Popeye, because I am what I am. Anyways, if you don't know it, it's not funny. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Do you understand that verse? Please say no. I know you don't understand. It's impossible to understand that verse. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Well, which is it? Is it you working hard, or is it the grace of God? Make a choice. Paul doesn't care. He doesn't care because he trusts in the love of his father, and he's working in partnership with him, and sometimes you do what you do that I can't do, and I'll do what I do. 
And it works itself out because we're together toward a common goal. I'm not suspicious of you. I'm not interested in blaming you. I'm with you, and I trust you. And when I trust you, I have different kinds of questions than when I mistrust you. When I mistrust you, it's going to be all about blaming you and self-protecting me. But when I trust you, then I'm not interested in doing that. I'm interested in partnering with you toward your plans and purposes in this world. Are you following me? That maybe the debate of Calvinism and Arminianism has nothing to do with logic and everything to do with trust. And if we could trust the goodness of our Father, we would have a different discussion. But the reason why it's lasting for 500 stupid years is not because of our logic. It's because of our deep-seated mistrust of the living God. And if we could work that through, this tension, I believe, would dissolve. And so then the, the answer, if you're wondering, the answer is, then why did, why was I molested when I was a child and innocent or someone else? Why? I don't know, but one thing I do. God is love. And he grieves with you in that place. Let's start there in a discussion of his power. Don't start with mistrust. Start with trust and then see how now how his power will be expressed. It's a different conversation. Um, I've been thinking about this for decades. And uh, I would say it's about four or five years ago, I took another church history course. I hadn't taken one for a while, and I forget all the names, and I kind of wanted to remember I value history. And so I went, uh, took a course under Sarah Williams. What an amazing prof. And uh, she brought in, when it was time to talk about Calvinism, she had one of her students teach the class. I thought, well, this is because she's amazing. She says, I need you to hear this. And uh, so this guy gets up, and he starts talking about Calvinism, about the sovereignty of God. Now, he says, let me give you the historical context of Calvin fighting for the sovereignty of God. This is the context. Uh, there were people who were following Calvin, Reformed theology, who were living in France. They were called the Huguenots. And the Huguenots were uh, violently persecuted at this time by the Roman Catholic Church. They were apostate. And so uh, they were being eradicated. The reason why, listen to this, this is shocking. If you've ever been in the church and you know these things, this is a shocking reason why Calvin fought for the sovereignty of God. And this is what he wrote to the Huguenots. When you undergo persecution and you fear that you will deny Christ, know that the Father has you in his hands and he will never leave you or forsake you. The motive behind Calvin's 
fierce fight for the sovereignty of God was a pastoral concern about people who were persecuted. That's what's going on. And when you're going through a hard time and you don't know if you can endure, you want a sovereign God. You want a God who says, this is not up to you. Don't worry, I have you in the palm of my hands. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be faithful through this tremendous trial that you're not sure you can endure. And now we preach Calvinism. You are mean if in that moment you go, suck it up, buddy. It's all up to you. What do you think? God's going to rescue out of this moment? You got into this mess? You get out of this mess. Is that good pastoral care? You're mean. The sovereignty of God is about the kindness of God that overrides our ability in any given moment to do what we can't do for ourselves. Save us, love us, heal us, comfort us, give us hope, context. This is what the power of God has come to do. And we can't see that if we're suspicious of his motives. We can't receive his power because we're too busy protecting ourselves because we're not sure what he's going to do. So, Calvinism is comforting when you trust God's heart. John 10, 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. Greater than all. He has no competing gods. You want to be, we talked about this in Transformations a few weeks ago. You're smart if you choose the biggest God to be your God. That's just smart. He is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Now that's comfort. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. And when you lay down your mistrust, you will love and get this, find comforting the almighty power of God. You will run into it instead of run away from it because you trust in the motive behind the power. Arminianism is empowering. So Calvinism is comforting. Arminianism is empowering when you trust God's heart. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says in the New American Standard, it says, we are God's fellow workers. We're in partnership with God. We plant in water and he makes things grow. It's an outstanding deal. I've never been able to make anything grow, so I'm super glad that that's his part. And I plant in water. I can do that. I, I love the security of God. My picture is always uh, me teaching my kids how to ride a bicycle. And uh, they're always a little bit wobbly, and then there's that moment when it's working. And uh, they're pedaling, and they, and, and they scream out to me, Dad, I'm riding a bike. As I hold onto their back <laughs> and make sure they don't fall over. <laughs> you know, they go, I'm riding a bike. I'm amazing. And I'm hollering, you are amazing. And I'm holding on <laughs> that you don't tip over, because you will as soon as I let go. But I'm riding a bike. I'm planting and watering. Look at me. I make things grow. And then on Judgment Day, I'm going to reward you for your planting and watering. 
because you did it because you trusted in my power. You did your part. You did 100%, not 50% of your part. You did 100% of your part because you trusted in my motive that I'll do my part. And that's good Arminianism. And what it makes is a fun life. When I'm not doing well, God's sovereign. As things are going well, I'm partnering with him. Either way, life is a joy and it's an adventure because my God is good and he's great. In conclusion, what if we desire clarity? Are you to blame or am I to blame? Do you think like that? Come on now. Do you think like that through the day? When you go to work, do you think something goes wrong at work? What goes through your mind? Whose fault is it? All I know is it's not mine. Do you think like that? Sadly, I think like that way more than I'd like to admit. What if we desire, desire clarity, who's to blame, when we are suspicious of God's motives? What if the problem is not who's in charge? What if the problem is, do I trust him? And when I trust him, I don't need to be suspicious of what he does, and I can be liberated to do what I do, and we're working together in perfect harmony because he's my dad. I think this even can translate over into human power. It says, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. When we trust in a sovereign God, we can even submit to human power because we trust in a sovereignty over all things at all time and all people. And that's why Jesus is able to say to Pilate, don't you know what I could do right now? I could call down a whole whack of angels and wipe you all out because my God's sovereign in this moment, but I trust him even in my pain. Our issue is trust, not logic and not clarity. Worship team, could you please come forward? <clears throat> if you are suspicious of God, there will be no amount of explanation that will satisfy your heart. There just won't be. It won't quite make sense why there's cancer, why there is natural disasters, and why there's war. You will never get over that. The miracle is, it's a miracle, that if you are willing to trust that God is good, all of those things that seemed insurmountable a minute ago start to make sense. And you realize that his power was never the problem. It's a people who are unwilling to trust in his goodness and greatness. Let's please stand. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are good. You're not a little bit good. You're not good some of the time. But not only are you 100% sovereign, 100% in control, you are 100% loving. You have never been a little bit loving. And you have only ever used your power in our life 
and in this world for love's sake. Father, would you please give us the grace now to let go of our judgments, to let go of our suspicions, and to think we know better than you. Would you crucify our pride in this moment? And would you give us the grace to believe that you're far better than we could ever imagine? And as we trust that to be true, would you set us free to be responsible? Thank you that our decisions matter. Thank you that we are not puppets. Thank you that we have a meaningful life and our decisions have impact. And so because we trust in you, we also receive our responsibility. And we don't hide behind you in some inappropriate, blaming kind of way. Minister to us the freedom to trust and therefore becoming a people who pray and a people who obey.